0: Now, Genesis chapter 13, I'm gonna start in verse 14. And uh, man, I'm excited to preach this three times today. I am, I honestly am. There's some words you just go, man, I just, wow, I wanna say this a lot. And uh, so I'm excited to share this with you. So verse 14 says, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, look around from where you are to the north and the south, to the east and the west. All the land that you see, I will give you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the length and the breadth of the land. For I am giving it to you. Wow. Some things we have to walk through before God gives them to us. Some things I have to walk through before I possess them. Sometimes I have to walk through some things to get some things. Is there anybody in the room thankful not only for the things that God has given to you, but Now I'm grateful on the other side. I'm thankful for the things that he made me walk through to get me to the things that he had for me. I'm thankful. I'm grateful. Because I'm not here today because life was easy. I'm here today because life was hard. And we walked through some things. And we've made it through some things. And we're on the other side of some things. And now we can look back and we can say, the God who was faithful to bring me through that and give me this is the same God who will bring me through this and get me to that. Can somebody in the room say amen? Come on if you're watching online you can just throw some prayer hands or some clapping hands the god who walks us through he walks us through to get us to and i love this because what god has for us it's it's long it's deep it's wide it's it's bigger than where i'm at right now so father in jesus name thank you that you have deeper waters for me that you have more vision for me than i have for myself You've got greater plans for me than I have for me. As a matter of fact, Ephesians tells me that whatever I can think, ask or imagine, you go above and beyond that. And so God, thank you today that you are even more committed to the purpose of God in my life than I am. You see things in me That I can't even see in myself. And you see me going places that I never saw myself going. You see me having and possessing a life that I never thought I could have or possess. You see me possessing a peace that I never thought I would get. You see me possessing strength that I never thought I would have. You see me with resources that I never thought would be available to me. And so I thank you, God. I thank you that you see that. Help me to see it in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. I love how this verse starts. It says, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, look around. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, look around. Because there are some things that God is waiting to say to you until some people part with you. There are some things that God is waiting to reveal to you until some people part ways with you. And the reason Abram has parted ways with Lot, it's not the biggest deal in the world, but it's a big deal in their world. They've been, they've been in disagreement over land and, and property and, and people and things and Abram decided that it would be better for them to be apart than it would be for them to be together. And so Abram Abram said, hey, Lot, if you go left, I'll go right. If you go right, I'll go left. Because I think we need to separate because I think there's something that God's trying to get to me that he can't get to me as long as you're around. And so as soon as he makes this intentional relationship decision, God comes in and he begins to show him something that he had never seen about his life before. And I'm telling you, there are some things that God is waiting for you to get yourself in the right place relationally that he's not going to reveal to you until you separate from some places, from some people, from some things. Come on, somebody. Because God wants you to take something from this season and leave it in this season. Not everything from this season goes into the next one. So he's got something special. He's got something new. He's got something that he wants him to look around and see. But as long as he's connected to Lot in this way, he can't say it to him. And then Abram makes another relational decision in Genesis chapter 14. The Bible says with Lot, the Bible teaches us that yes, Abram separated from Lot, but he didn't abandon Lot. There's a difference between separating from someone and abandoning someone. Because when Lot was in need and Lot was captured by the enemy, Abram went and he rescued Lot because he loved Lot. And you don't have to stop loving people just because you separate from people. Because we're not commanded anywhere in Scripture to stop loving anybody. We love everyone. We love people the way... Christ loved people, but some people, we are just not good together, and so God separates us. But in this story, in Genesis chapter 14, the king of Sodom comes to Abram after Abram has rescued Lot, and he wants to enter into an agreement with him, and so he says, hey, give me the people, and you can keep the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom with raised hand, he said, I have sworn an oath to the Lord God the most high, creator of heaven and earth, that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the strap of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. I love this because there are some people in your life who want to take credit for what God is doing in your life, and God says, I don't want you to have nothing to do with anybody who wants the credit for the thing that only I can do in your life. Is there anybody thankful today that you serve a God who can do what people cannot do? I'm thankful for that, but he also wants us to know that you don't need to have people in your life who are going to take the credit for doing in your life what I did in your life. I'm very careful, even with my own kids, to say if they do anything good, it's not because I was a good parent. I was actually a very bad parent. If I did something good, it was on accident. If anything good comes out of my kids, it's because the grace of God that is in my life and on their life. Is there anybody in the room who would say... If I do good, it's because the grace of God. If they turn out okay, it's the grace of God. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. Man, if they turn out bad, you can blame me. But if if they do something great, it's it's God. And so never, never, the Bible teaches, never associate. Don't come into partnership with people that are going to take credit for the things that only God does in your life. So Abram, what does he do? He makes two important, very critical relationship decisions. That begin to set his life up because right after he separates from Lot, God comes in and he opens up new places and spaces to him. Right after he tells the king of Sodom, I'm not entering into partnership with you, God comes to him in a vision and says, don't be worried, Abram, don't worry about the king of Sodom, I am your shield, I am your exceedingly great reward. I'll take care of you and I will provide for you because no one is going to get the credit for what God does in your life. I love this and so I wanna talk to you about separating from people. Whether it's separating from people the way Lot separated and Abram separated or it's separating from this king of Sodom who Abram decided I'm not gonna partner with you. Because the Bible teaches us that there are just some people that we should avoid. Now you're like, oh, no, 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 Jesus, he, no, he wouldn't do that, oh, no, Jesus talked about entire cities that he rejected, <laughs> entire spaces and places that he rejected. He, he talked about people that would be rejected, people who would come to him and say, Lord, Lord, we did all this stuff in your name, we cast out devils, we worked miracles, he's going to look at you and say, depart from me, I never partnered with you, I don't know who you are. Ooh. <laughs> So if God does it, then maybe it's something, it's a principle that we can learn from and we do it. First of all, I want to talk to you about three people that you need in your life. Three people that you need in your life. Jesus, such an incredible example of leadership. Jesus rejected any type of celebrity or popularity. just wasn't about it, wasn't for it. Everything that he did, did not uh, point people back to his Instagram profile. And, you know, I, I would love to have more followers on Instagram. I, one way I could probably do it is if on Sundays I just, put, I just put my Instagram right up on the screen so you guys would follow me, that'd be great. <laughs> but I'm not, I'm not really, I, that's not what I'm here for. I'm not on this stage so that I can become more fame, I'm not up here so that I can get you to follow me, get you to listen to me, get you to, I'm, I, that's not why I'm here. That's why Jesus would tell people anytime he did a miracle, he would say, hey, listen, um, listen, don't tell anybody. Because I'm not about the fame, I'm not about the popularity, I'm not about being known, I'm not about YouTube subscribers, I don't need a channel, I, I, don't, need, I don't need all of that, I don't need all of that. Would Jesus use it? Probably, but he didn't need it. There's a difference in using something and needing. There's a difference in using money and needing money. So so Jesus rejected all of that. His goal was not fame. His goal was not to be popular. His goal was not to be known by the whole world. His goal was to invest into a few people and those people, Would change the world. Jesus had three and a half years to do ministry. He chose. To invest in people. Instead of become a celebrity. Because he knows that life was meant. To be done. Not in celebrity. But but in community. That's where you really make the difference. Not on a stage. But in a living room. Not on a stage. But in a coffee shop. Not on a stage, but around a table. Jesus knew this. And even when he told us, even when he took 70 people in Luke chapter, 72 people in Luke chapter 10, and he said, hey, go and preach, he didn't tell them to go to the churches. He said, go into homes, sit at tables with people. And tell them about the kingdom of God. If all we do is get together on Sunday, and we're not getting in houses, and getting in coffee shops, and getting in restaurants, and getting in parks, and getting on our jobs the rest of the week, then we are really not doing anything with what God is doing. And what God is doing on Sunday is so important, it's got to get out of here. So... So Jesus rejected all of that. So he invested. He invested in, he empowered 70 people. So Jesus would teach crowds. He empowered 70 people, 72 people. He said, hey, here's, here's what I want you to go preach and say, and I'm gonna give you authority to do that. He really sat down and he trained 12 people. But he invited three people, three people into the most private Places in his heart. He took them not only to the Mount of Transfiguration, but he took them to the Garden of his Suffering to pray. Because if the only place I can take you is to my high places, but to my low places, you don't belong in my inner circle. You can't handle my inner circle. You weren't made for my inner circle. doesn't make you bad. It just means you weren't made for my inner circle. So he had these three. Who were they? They were Peter, James, and John and they all three were different i love jesus because jesus is the picture of a of a diverse team jesus jesus would have disciples that would look a lot like right wingers and left wingers today some of them were zealots politically they were, they were, a zealot in that day was a person who wanted to overthrow the government, not intellectually, but physically. He had a guy on his team named Simon the Zealot. This is who he, is who he recruited. So he had a very diverse team. But Peter, James, and John were really critical to the birth of the church, the expansion of the church. And John in particular is critical to where the church is going. John who wrote the book of Revelation who saw things that nobody has ever seen. So you have have Peter. What does Peter represent? Peter represents to me, Peter represents a champion of faith. Sometimes it's misguided Sometimes it cuts off the wrong ear, but it's full of faith. It's full of faith. And even when he follows at a distance, his disappointment is not in Jesus. His disappointment is in himself. He's disappointed because he couldn't defend Jesus. He couldn't. And so he's embarrassed and full of shame. Never make fun of Peter because he walked away. Peter didn't walk away because he was embarrassed really of Jesus. Peter was really embarrassed of himself, ashamed of himself. He walks away and then he comes back and Jesus restores him and Peter is the guy Jesus actually chooses to preach the gospel message on the day the church is born. This guy is a pioneer. This is the type of person who's like, they don't want to wait until tomorrow when they could do it today. Why wait until tomorrow when I can cut the year off right now, like why, and, and, and sometimes they're misguided, sometimes they're out of order. Sometimes they're chaotic. Sometimes they speak before they think. But this type of person is necessary on your team because you can build with these type of people because they'll run through a wall for you. They'll chop off an ear for you, even if it's the wrong ear. They will fight for the cause. They'll fight for the cause. He's he's a champion of of faith. He'd stand up on the day of Pentecost and say, "This this is what we've all been waiting for. This is the day that Joel talked about. This is the last day where I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. I mean, this, this is Peter. He's, he's a champion of faith. Jesus even asked all the disciples, he said, who do you say that I am? Or who do men say that I am? And they said, well, some say you're a prophet. Some say you're like Elijah. Some say you're just a good teacher. Peter says, no, no, no. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. They know who Peter knows who you are, and they're willing to fight for it. Then you need a James. James is a unique character of the Bible because James is the first apostle to be martyred for the gospel of Jesus. James is a champion of purpose. James is committed to the scripture. James is committed to the word of God. James is committed to to working out your salvation. James is committed to not just being a believer in talk, but being a believer in walk. I'm a champion of purpose. I'm gonna do everything in my power to guard you for your purpose. I'm gonna do everything that I can do to make sure that you get to your purpose. I'm gonna say some difficult things to you sometimes, but it's because I care about your purpose. I'm gonna challenge you, I'm gonna push you, you're gonna get mad at me, you're not gonna want me in your circle sometimes. But I'm I'm doing this because I'm committed to your purpose. James, so committed that he gives his life, the first one to give his life for the gospel. Then you've got John. And I love John in particular. John is probably my favorite character in the New Testament. I love John because John is, he himself says, the apostle that Jesus loved, the disciple that Jesus loved. I love that, he was so confident in the love that Jesus had for him. In a world where we're trying to convince people that God loves them, John was like, I already know I'm loved." what are you talking about? I'm the one Jesus loves. And because of that, John is a champion of people. Peter's a champion of faith, James is a champion of purpose, and John is a champion of people. John is necessary because John cares not just about you, but John loves the people in your life just as much as he loves you. You need to watch out for people that love you but don't love the people you love. I like that guy, but man, his wife really gets on my nerves. You need to back off. If you don't love my wife, you don't love me. She's a part of me. You say you love me, but you treat my kids terrible. You don't love me. You just want access to me, but you don't love me. You want to shake my hand, but you don't love me. You want to be my friend, but you don't love me. You want access to my influence, but you don't love me. You want to get on this stage, but you don't love me if you don't love my kids. That's why Jesus was while he's dying on the cross saying to John, hey, behold your mother. He asked John to take care of his mom. Why? Because John didn't just love Jesus and love the cause, love the church. John loved his mom. He loved who Jesus loves. My best friends in the world are the people who love who I love. Yeah. Yeah. It's easy to love me. I'm the guy on the stage. I'm the guy with the microphone. I'm the guy with this great hair. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the guy you see on YouTube. I'm the guy on Facebook. I'm the guy. I'm the, I'm the guy. It's easy to love me. It's easy to want to be my friend. It's easy to want to shake my hand. It's easy. Wow. But how you treat who I love. That's why you can't say you love me and hate this church. Because if you love me, you love what I love. That's why you can't say you love God and hate the church. Because if you love God, you love what he loves. You can't say I love God, but man, I hate the world. You can't do that because you gotta love, if you love God, you love what God loves. <laughs> oh man, John, he's a champion of people, he's a caretaker, takes care of not just you, but he takes care of the people around you. I'm so thankful for the people who help me with the people that I love, who are caring for the people that I care about. I need people like that. That's my inner circle. That was Jesus's. The scripture's full, not just of stories of the people that we need in our lives, It's complicated scripture is full of people that we don't need in our lives. People we should, scripture even says, uses the word avoid. Wow, second Corinthians 6 and 14. We talked about this last week. We talked about unequal yokes. And the unequal yoke it talks about in second Corinthians 6 and 14 is together with unbelievers or righteousness with unrighteousness, or light with darkness. The Bible teaches us that we should not partner with them. We should not enter into covenant agreement with unbelievers. It's important. And it's not just because unbelievers are unbelievers, because I've met, I've met, I've met people who aren't saved that I like more than people who are saved. As a matter of fact, one of the people that I have a close relationship with in my life, in my life is not a believer. Somebody that I, I went to high school with, not a believer. We still talk. We still connect. We still have a meal. I'm still preaching the gospel to him. 25 years since we met, and I'm still, I still haven't given up on him. And if he's watching today, because sometimes he does, you know who I'm talking about. I'm talking to you. So, so let me help you for a minute because when you connect to someone, when you make covenant with someone, the yoke is a picture not of just two people connected but of two people carrying something. And so when you connect with someone, you have to understand that that person comes with a burden And not only are you in relationship with them, you're in relationship with the thing they're carrying. So we gotta be very careful about that with unbelievers. This is the Bible, and if you wanna get mad, get mad at the Bible. Because I don't really have an opinion. I'm a preacher of the word. Someone asked me one time, what's your opinion on this? I was like, I really don't have one, I have a word. because we can argue over opinions but if you disagree with the word you're wrong mm. mm-hmm. so 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 it's not just about the person it's about their burden and i want to give you just a few different types of people that aren't unbelievers but find themselves in churches every sunday That the Bible teaches us to avoid. First type of person is an angry person. Proverbs 22, 24, and 25 say, Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered. I'm thankful that it says easily angered. And we're going to talk about the difference here in just a second. He says, or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. Wildest thing I've ever seen happen in my life. I was at a football game in 1996. I was at Elizabethan High School. We were playing Cherokee. I was sitting beside a friend of mine, group of friends, we were together. This friend of mine was always just kinda looking for trouble. So he picks up a little bitty rock. It's not a big rock, it's just a little bitty thin rock. And he's like, "Watch this." I was like, "What? Watch what?" throws the rock, And I'm like, "Oh He hits the only person on the sidelines other than the coach without a helmet on. A player hits him in the back of his this kid was bald too. So like you could literally from a hundred yards see the blood running. Out of his head. The kid is angry. He knows it came from the stands. He turns around and he runs over to the stands. And he's yelling at people. The coach runs over. Jumps up in the stands. is challenging the entire fan base to a fight. He says if you'll just tell us who did it. I won't bring up every player on my team. So nobody would tell. And I knew just because I was close to the person who threw it. I was whatever they had gotten themselves into, I was in it too. So, because if I get up and walk away, I look like the guy who did it. (laughs) There he is. (laughs) So I'm just sitting there quietly. I'm not, I'm trying not to say a word. I'm just looking down. Well, the coach, nobody says anything. And then the coach decides to tell his whole football team to rush the stands. They run up into the stands. They're taking their helmets off and I'm seeing people get hit in the face with helmets. I mean, this thing is crazy. People were taken off in stretchers. Ambulances were all over the place. Our coach got hit by a player from the other team, broke ribs in our, on our coach. I mean, the thing went wild. It was the biggest brawl I've ever seen in my life and somehow I escaped with my life. <laughs> but I got caught up because I was connected, I got caught up in something that I wasn't even a part of, just because of who I decided to be friends with. Hmm. Proverbs 15, 18 says, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets confrontation. Where are these people? that know how to quiet confrontation. The only people I see right now that they're talking about on television are people that know how to make it worse. Why? Because unlike James 1.19 says, James 1.19 says this, it says, be slow to anger, slow to speak, quick to listen. But we flipped it. We are quick to anger, Slow to listen. Here's the difference between a person who is angered and a person who is easily angered. A person who is easily angered, it's their first response, not their last resort. It's their first response. And the Bible goes on to say in James, James 1 there in 19 and 20, 20, verse 20 says that the wrath of men, of men or the anger of men does not produce the righteousness of God. You cannot get righteous results with human anger. If you want righteous results, you have to do righteous things. What does a righteous thing look like? Well, Romans tells us, don't repay evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. Be so good to people that their only response is, I can't be evil to you anymore. I can't yell at you anymore. You're being so kind I don't even know what to do with your kindness, so I'm just going to go over here. <laughs> but no, in our, in our society, in our culture, volume meets volume. Intensity meets intensity. And, and, and whoever has the loudest mouth and the biggest guns wins. But that's not how it works in the kingdom of God. That's why our streets are a mess. As well intentioned as the police are when they show up to a to, to a riot or to a, to a protest, as well-intentioned as they are. It does nothing because of the weapons and because, of, because you're trying to meet anger with anger and violence with violence and guns with guns and whoever has the biggest gun and whoever has more authority. And I'm so thankful that they're trying to bring some sort of peace, but it's a peace that will not last and it's a peace that won't really accomplish anything because you cannot get righteous results with unrighteous. Listen to me. Thank God that the police are there. Because if the police were not there, our world would be overrun. But you have to understand something. You have to understand something. The way we get to a conclusion, and not just going back and forth in the streets. The way that we get to a conclusion is righteousness. Righteousness. You, you, you don't, you don't over, overcome evil with with evil? You don't overcome a loud person by getting louder? You don't overcome a strong-willed child by getting stronger with the child? You don't do it. It doesn't work. It might work to get everybody to go home and to get everybody to kind of settle in for the night, but it doesn't last. They just show up again the next day. They just keep showing up and we keep this repetition over and over and over. We've been doing protests and we've been doing police for a 100 years. It just keeps, but what do we need? We need a revolution of righteousness. We need hearts that are righteous. We need people, we need, first of all, we need people. If you're gonna go protest, go protest. But understand this, you don't overcome evil with evil. You don't overcome evil by burning down somebody's store. You don't overcome evil by throwing rocks. You don't overcome evil. Understand this, officers need to understand. You you might get control of the situation, but you aren't gonna get control of the person. They're gonna come back the next day and come back the next day and come back the next day until somebody elites with some common sense, stands in the middle of all of that and says, Hey, hello, does anybody not see that none of this is working? Like your anger isn't helping. Your response isn't helping. Let's try a different way. But until we get some sort of leadership that doesn't fuel this divisiveness on any side of an issue and every side of an issue, we're just going to constantly have this is our problem. We got angry people in control. Angry people running the show. So what do we do as a church? What do we what should our response be to the craziness that is happening in our world? How about, how about we sit down with people? I love, I love Jesus when he saw a city because Jesus came into a city that was just as full of strife and just as full of contention as ours are. What did Jesus choose to do? Did he, chose, did he choose to go to the, to, the, to the street corner and get a megaphone and shout at everybody he disagreed with? No, he went into people's homes. Do you know where change is gonna start? When we start Going into people's homes, lives, bringing the goodness of God to our job, bringing the goodness of God to to the places and spaces that we go and we interact with people, bringing that goodness into families, bringing that goodness to people who we disagree with, bringing that goodness to people who we don't like, bringing that goodness across the street to our neighbor who we haven't talked to. How do we think the world is going to change when we don't even know our neighbors? Oh, my goodness. Angry people. its all you see in the world, just angry people. It's like the only way the world knows how to deal with angry people is to just beat them into submission. But you can't keep doing that. It does not work. Angry people need a loving God. Oh, man. This is difficult. I know it's difficult. Yeah, we, I said at the beginning, this is complicated. But anybody who looks at life and goes, man, it's just simple, isn't it? There's just one side to every story, isn't there? No, there's, in everything that's happening in our world right now, there's one side, another side, and then there's the third side, which is the truth. <laughs> there's your side, there's my side, and then there's the truth. And somebody needs to stand in the middle for truth. But we're too busy going to our politics and not to Jesus. We're too busy going to Fox and CNN for our opinion and not to Jesus and his word. We're too busy, hey, I'm gonna watch TV tonight, and hey, hey, uh, hey, Sean Hannity, tell me how to feel about everything. Hey, Tucker, tell me how to feel about everything. Hey, hey, Don Lemon, tell me how to feel it. Hey, Anderson, tell me how to feel about everything. Hey, NBC, MSNBC. Tell me how to feel. Tell me how to think. What do they do? They tell you what happened, they tell you how to think about it, and they tell you why you should be mad at everybody. Why, because they're angry. They're angry. Right, left, they're angry. And angry people do not do anything but cause more problems. So I don't associate with them. I don't watch them on television. I don't pay a subscription to listen to their podcast and their radio. Bless the Lord, oh, my soul and all that is within me. Bless his. These are angry people, fruitless people. Fruitless. Matthew seven fifteen through 20 says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from the thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. I love this because it says, by their fruit. Doesn't say their gift. Their fruit. It amazes me that Christians get so caught off guard when famous pastors or preachers fall into sin. As if because they were gifted, that meant they were fruitful. Those two don't really have anything to do with one another. The fruit is for you. The gift is for the body. That's why God can use you even though you don't have fruit. For instance, in scripture, God says, Moses, hey, I want you to get water for the people. And I want you to speak to this rock and water is going to flow from this rock. Moses goes up to the rock and the people are complaining. He gets mad and he says, am I going to have to bring water out of this rock for you? And he hits the rock. But water still flows. That's weird, isn't it? It's as if God used Moses in spite of Moses because the gift was not for Moses. It was for the people. So never confuse God using you with God being pleased with you. Don't misinterpret those two things. Oh my God, some people are thinking just because God's using me or just because God's blessing me or just because there's favor in my life or just because I'm making money or because my house is big or I'm successful, that means that God must be pleased with me. No, God will use you in spite of you because he loves the community. The problem is you can be so deceived thinking that God's pleased with you and you miss out. See, Moses was so gifted that he could take everybody out, but he couldn't take anybody in. Because a gift can get people out, but a lack of fruit cannot get people in. Moses, he's like, you want me to get this water out of this rock for you? That's why we shouldn't be shocked when you see something like what happened with Ravi Zacharias. I'm not shocked. People are like, are you shocked? Can you believe? No. First of all, we turned a man into something he wasn't, a celebrity and an icon and Famous and, and I've, I've seen it too many times. Gifted people think that God's pleased with them, not realizing that the gift isn't for them because you don't get to use the gift on you. He gives these gifts for the body. Some people are like, man. Robbie, your, your life must be full of no problems because you have so much advice to give. <laughs> if I only took half of the advice I give, my life would change. Because I can't preach to me. I, I need a pastor. I can't pastor me. I can't prophesy to me. People are like, prophesy to yourself. No, that's not the way the gift works. The gift is for the body. Prophets need accountability. That's what you saw in this last election season. Prophets on YouTube with no accountability saying crazy stuff, and they got away with it because nobody holds them accountable. So God doesn't need more gifted people. God needs more fruitful people. By your fruit, you will know them. Don't think just because somebody is gifted that they're fruitful. We stand with me? I need, to, I need to let you go. Think about this. Paul. The same guy who could, who could give you a handkerchief and heal you can't get rid of a thorn in his flesh. Couldn't do it. Peter. The Bible says Peter's shadow healed people. Peter couldn't heal his own mother-in-law. Jesus had to come in and heal Peter's mother-in-law. I don't know if it's because Peter didn't want to heal his mother-in-law or just (laughs) because. Jesus is like, watch this, Peter. (laughs) Inside joke, heal your mother-in-law. But watch this, sometimes your gift doesn't even work on your family. When I go home, my kids don't care I'm Pastor Robbie. I told my kids I was so mad one time, I looked at them, I said, listen, I sat them all down, I said, listen, people will put me on a plane, fly me across the country, and pay me to tell them what to do. And you don't listen to a word I say. Because they don't care. I'm like Monica. I'm the pastor. She's like, I don't care who you are. You're that goofball I married 24 years ago, who I made into a man, by the way. That's it's fact. That's facts. That's 100 percent accurate. So watch this. If angry people, fruitless people, watch this scripture. This is this is really tough one. First Corinthians five nine through eleven. Listen, he's. Paul says, when I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin, but I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or are greedy or cheat people or worship idols. You would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. But I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother and sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy or an idolater, or a slanderer, or a drunkard, or a swindler. Don't even eat with such. Why is that? Because sometimes God calls us to give people up, not give up on people, but give people up. It's what God did in Romans one, when the Bible says to those who were being sexually immoral, men with men, women with women, God says, I turn them over to a reprobate mind. I turn them over to the consequences of their sin. I didn't give up on them, because God doesn't give up on anybody. I turn them over. I'm gonna allow them to fulfill the concept, to feel the full weight of their sin because if not, they won't turn. And sometimes we have to give people up, not give up on people, but give people up because by trying to control them, we actually keep enabling them. And we have to allow them to feel the weight of their sin. That's what he's talking about. Another type of person is an abusive person. You were not made to be abused. Can I say to you, every person in this room, you have the right to walk away from any relationship that is physically and verbally abusive. The Bible teaches that as soon as Saul, Saul was the king, David was subject to the king. But as soon as Saul... Started abusing David, throwing spears at him. The Bible says David was out. He bounced. He hid. It's completely wise to get out of physically and verbally abusive relationship. Proverbs 27 and 12 says, A prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions. The simpleton, though, goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. Proverbs 12 and 18 says, the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. So the Bible teaches me that I'm to avoid people that constantly pierce me with their words, but don't bring healing with their words. Psalm 11 and 5 says, the Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked, those who love violence, he hates with a passion. Colossians 3 and 19 says, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh. With them, If God doesn't give you permission to talk harshly to her, what makes you think you have permission to put your hands on her? Divisive people. Romans chapter 16 and 17 says, avoid people that cause division. Titus 3 and 10 says, after warning them twice, have nothing to do with them. Proverbs 20 and 19 says, whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, therefore do not associate with a simple babbler. Proverbs 16 and 28 says, a person who stirs up strife and conflict and a gossip, they separate close friends. Proverbs 18 and 8 says, the words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They're like chocolate cake. No wonder we like them so much. It's hard. It's hard to say no to cake. That's how hard it is to say no to, to gossip. But these are people that the Bible teaches us to avoid. And most of the time, it's not the people outside of us, it's the person in us. I need to avoid that in me. I need to avoid the gossiper in me. I need to run as far as I can away from the gossiper in me. I need to run as far away I can as the abuser in me. I need to run away as far as I can from from the angry person, the fruitless person in me. don't take every message and turn it on people. Sometimes the the person that's wrecking your life the most is you. It's you. So Father, help us. Help us. I actually feel a burden right now to pray for to pray for our police officers. I don't know why I'm feeling this right now. I didn't feel this in first service. And I don't wanna call you out um, in the service. I don't want you to raise your hand or anything like that or come up front. I don't wanna do that to you. But I feel this burden because I've talked to so many officers right now who who are so frustrated because they feel like they're giving their best and it's not making any kind of Difference, and they see—they uh, see what's happening in other communities. And first of all, they're praying that it doesn't happen like that here. We're praying that. But they're seeing the the fruitlessness sometimes that they perceive in their work, and we've got police officers walking away like crazy right now because it's difficult to keep doing something over and over and over again and not seeing any real change. And it's gotta be even harder for Christian officers who, who are not there just for a job, but Christian men and women who go there because they really want to. This might not even be something you can do inside of your the system that you're a part of, but this might be something that that you can begin to lead, maybe you can't lead this so much verbally right now, but you can lead this with your lifestyle. I want to pray that God, the same grace that's on my life when I open up my mouth and speak and people listen and lives are changed, I want to pray that the same grace of God falls on your life right now. What people don't understand about police officers is they're so much more than just the enforcement of law they're, or the protectors of law. Is they're psychologists, they're counselors. They have to be so much and they're so not prepared to be everything a community needs them to be. And so let's pray for them right now. I wanna pray, I, fe- I just felt a burden as I was sharing that, because I see it, I see the frustration. I see the frustration on on both sides of of what's happening in our country right now. But I see I see people who who want to make a difference, who are trying to make a difference, but feel like they can't. And I know we're a little over, and the parking lot might be a madhouse. I'm so sorry, but I just I have to pray for this. So Father, in Jesus' name, I'm praying right now that you would not only to fulfill a job, but they're there to they're there to make a kingdom difference. And that you have not just gifted them, but you have anointed them. You've anointed them to do what they're doing. And so we ask you right now that they would begin to, there, there would be a, a weight to their words that's unexplainable. There would be a, a heaviness to their, to their words that they can't even, they can't even put into words but there would be a, a kingdom breakthrough in law enforcement, in the name of Jesus. And I pray for those who are right now growing weary and doing well, I pray that they would not quit. I pray that you would reignite their passion, reignite their heart, reignite their zeal for the, re, for the same reasons that they began, that you would, you would, you would give them that same passion Again, that you would reignite their hearts, that you would re-energize them and their families. I know they're weary. I know they're tired. I know they're ready to give up. I know they feel like nothing's changing. But I'm telling you, I believe with all of my heart, we are, we, are, we are on the precipice of a breakthrough, a breakthrough in the enforcement of law in this nation. I believe that with all my heart. I don't, need, I don't talk like this. I, God, I just feel this in my spirit. There's a kingdom breakthrough getting ready to happen in the law. And let this community be an example. Let this community lead the way. Let the policemen and women in this community lead the way. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And the church said, Amen. Amen. Hallelujah, man. I feel something strong on that today.